0: Greetings and welcome to the Gamesmaster Team Championships. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Gamesmaster. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and you can always sip from my knowledge. And I am Ash Versus. And Luke, why are Germany wearing a Newcastle strip? This episode aired on the 18th of January 1994, and it's no change at the top of either chart, with Pacino and Carlitos way at the top of the box office, and Shekidimus' twist and shout topping the pops.
3: So we talked about Al Pacino last week. Pacino. Al Pacino. Hooah. Hooah. So we can put those impressions back in their box for now. I don't think it's the last time we'll get to break them out during our tenure here on Under Consultation. So shall we instead... Talk about Chakademus and pliers. I mean, like Twist and Shout is a song that
0: has been covered a bajillion times by pretty much a bajillion bands uh, at this point. I mean, like the, the the cover that I always think of, probably like a lot of people, is the Beatles one. Like, yes, that's, that's the one that I always go to. So but this one it is one that like, as soon as I saw it, like, you know, on the the list of like number ones for, for this time period, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, I totally remember that version as well.
3: I had to go back and listen to this one to remember it because I think because I you know I you know I love the Beatles and that's the one I always think of even though John Lennon didn't like that version he was never happy with the vocals no he he always was like oh I'll, I'll take another run at it which is weird because I
0: think it's actually pretty I mean no it's probably you know perfectionist that he was I think it's I think it's fantastic
3: I think it's because you can hear his voice kind of tearing a bit in it. I think, probably like you, that it kind of adds to the energy and the emotion of the song. But I can see why it might not have been the result he wanted. It's kind of like uh, listening to Paul McCartney sing Helter Skelter. If you listen to the outtakes of that, it's a shredder. But anyway, that's the Beatles. That's not Chakodemus and Pliers. Although, not just Chakodemus and Pliers. Chakodemus and Pliers featuring Jack Radix and Taxi Gang. Yeah, it was a big old compilation song, this. But Chakodemus and in themselves are kind of a supergroup? Or certainly a combination? Like Elton John and Kiki D? Yeah, because it's weird, look, because I,
0: I have, like, I've left players off by both times that I've mentioned this song now, because I do think of this, like, as far, it is a supergroup track, but I just kind of think of it as a Chakodemus song.
3: After performing together in Miami, the two decided to kind of team up. They released a song called Gal Wine, which proved to be quite a hit. They then appeared at Reggae Sunsplash in 92, and the following year broke through with a song that had international success, and that was Tears Me. Mm. Which I just oh. always remember that. Tears me, tears me. Tears me,
0: tears me, tears me,
3: tease me, tease me, baby. That is a great track. It peaked at number three, but it was in the singles chart for three months in 1993. They followed this with another cover, uh, Curtis Mayfield She Don't Let Nobody, and then came the cover of the top notes, Twist and Shout, which as why we're talking about it here, topped the charts in early 94. They became the first Jamaican actor to top the chart in eight years and the first to have three consecutive top five hits on the chart. They had more hits with I Wanna Be Your Man and Gal Wine, which got re-released. They had six hit singles all taken from their album called Tease Me, which they re-released and that also charted at number one on the UK album charts. So they got gold certification for that as well. They continued to be active through the rest of the 90s, onwards into the 2000s, and even were performing in 2013 at the BET Award show in the reggae segment alongside Dawn Penn, Beanie Man and Elephant Man. So, what started as, I guess, a kind of collaboration, just based off of performing together, they stuck around. Yeah, they did a lot of work. Uh, you know, as you say, they're still doing some stuff. Yeah, like...
0: It is, and I think it's a song that has really stood the test of time as well. Like a lot of reggae music, I think it, it doesn't age because it is a it is a timeless sound, and I think that's why like this could be played now and it will still feel like a a relatively new song.
3: No, I mean I absolutely agree. If you listen to reggae music that's recorded now and you compare it to stuff like Jacky and pliers or going back and going back to Bob Marley and the Wailers, and so on and so forth,
0: the energy is the same as well. Like the the sort of the vibe that each song gives off, the spirit.
3: Yeah, the spirit, constant. yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of few genres, I think, that really get that. Uh, I'd say Scar also manages yeah. that. Uh, rock doesn't so much, because rock has had so many sub-genres where you have kind of yacht rock, adult rock, prog rock, and every era has its own sound, whereas, yeah, Scar, reggae, so on and so forth, for the most part, they're already a fixed genre. You might get some crossover, but not much but no no this was nice and it did lead me on spotify to leading some other bits and pieces of reggae and i, I just had a very very chilled walk listening to this <laughs> and other tracks with a bit of a bounce in my step
0: i mean let's be it's better than blobby like it, it blobby is now behind us um i felt like because we needed one week chat of it as well it felt like we really managed to skip over uh the blobbiness um so it's
3: quite nice to have two weeks of this taking this pencil and stabbing it into my ear is better than Blobby. <laughs> couple of new releases
0: to talk about before we get into the show itself. Uh, we've got Art of Fighting released on the Mega Drive, but I think the big one for me, it gets released next month um, out here in the West, but it's just been released in Japan. Wario Land Super Mario Land 3 is released on the Game Boy. Uh, which is a game that I really, really liked. You have know, Wario made his debut in Mario Land Two: the Six Golden Coins, and it, it was just really cool to see, you know, the villain of that game get his own spin-off series. And it, although it, you know, it's designed to be Super Mario Land Three, Wario Land in itself would become its own collection of games. And then Wario, you know, has now got a massive library of games behind him, and this is the first one.
3: I mean, Wario is the Venom of the Super Mario universe, which makes Mario Spider-Man. And hey, red and blue. It works. Although although yellow and purple, that's more the shocker.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't quite work in terms of the the, the Wario color scheme. But yeah, I think the idea is there.
3: The idea is there. And also, just for reference, calling your villain the shocker, it really hasn't aged well, because there is now (laughs) a very different meaning for the word shocker. Thankfully, they've never tried to retcon that into the comics. Uh, I' trying to remember if I played this game the first time around. I'm not sure I actually did. I think I was in a slightly kind of weird teenage phase of mm, Mario, like even though I just had Mario All Stars not that long ago, I kind of started to go a bit, I guess, mm, playing grown up games now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Mortal Kombat's out there, you know, <laughs> and and stuff like that. But I did play it later, and it's a fun game. These these Game Boy and Mario games are fun games apart from the first mario land that can fuck off i don't like that <laughs> game i never beat that game and it can piss off i've got a bit
0: of love for mario land on the game boy but i, I would say that this is one of those series where they've got progressively better because i love six golden coins and i think six golden coins is a fantastic game but in a way i think the wario land is a better game than that because they you know the, the game boy they were able to like push the limitations that the, the system had I think the the various hats,
1: but she's got a new hat.
0: Um, I think is a really fun mechanic, like throughout the the game itself. I did have this game when it came out as well. Um, uh, my parents got it for me for I can't quite remember how or what it was for, whether it was Christmas or whether it was a birthday or something like that. But I did get this game, and I lent it to an older kid named David. Who he was an older kid, so he was like about you know maybe two three years older than me. So he was a cool kid, and he was one of the cool kids at school. For some reason, he liked me. And I lent him a copy of this game. And then he lost it. And I remember my mum being so, so mad, because, you know, these games weren't cheap. You know, it was like 40 odd quid, you know, to buy this game. And I'd lost it after a couple of months. Uh, She was not best pleased with me.
3: And I bet you he didn't like he didn't tell his parents and get a replacement copy, did he?
0: No, it wasn't like, I remember my mum making me call him, like making me call his house to like ask him where it was and you know make him sort of try and find him. and he just kept saying, "I don't know where it is, I don't know what happened to it." It was you know one of the last times I remember like my parents really buying me like stuff for the Game Boy like on a regular or you know on a semi-regular basis, because apparently I could not be trusted with them.
3: I find that unfair. You were trustworthy and you were trusting. Maybe your downfall was that you trusted people's better nature. Yeah, Now, was. no offence to this older kid, might be perfectly innocent. Yeah, he lost it.
0: Hmm, yeah. Misplaced it in a bedroom somewhere.
3: He misplaced it in his game collection and then sold it to another kid for 20 quid that he then used to go and buy some cigarettes.
0: That's where I reckon, like, I, my, my sort of retconning uh, of the story has, has always been that I reckon he'd sold it onto someone else or like he had then lent it to a friend and then couldn't get it back.
3: Yeah, I I disagree with your parents there, Luke. I think that punishing you for being trusting and thinking the best of your fellow man, I don't think that should be punished. If I was in a position to go back in time, if I get the DeLorean, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna buy you another copy of Wario. Oh, Land. Thanks, mate. Thanks, bud. Um, I've got it again now, so I think you should be fine. Oh, fuck it then. No, I won't bother. <laughs> I'll use it for something way more fun then
2: have joined us for the Games Master Team Championship. Three more teams are going to be battling out for a place in our championship semi-final. That's going to be happening here and it's going to be happening right now.
0: Not a huge amount to say on uh, this intro, but I felt like this episode, it's not a five challenge episode, but it still feels like quite chaotically quick throughout the whole thing. Like nothing is really given a lot of chance to breathe in this one.
3: No, I'd absolutely agree. It clips along. Uh, Dex is still very high energy. He's down a bit from last week. He's not had as many shredded wheat this week. He, he's kind of toned back a bit. He still has his moments. Yeah, he's, got, he's starting to get on my tits a little bit. I'll be honest, both him and Dave are starting to get on my tits oh, yeah, a little I was, bit. I was
0: going to say, yeah, it's not just Dex. And it's really, it's like, it's not just in watching the episodes. It's also in editing the episodes. I've now started, like, it. Was, I, I just edited episodes um, uh, 18 and 19, uh, sorry, 17 and 18. And it was in the edits of those. I was like, actually, Dex is, and Dave are really starting to get on my tits now.
3: I do wonder, assuming that they filmed a lot of this in order, are they themselves beginning to get fatigued and worn down? Yeah. Because we've already gone from three challenges in episode to four. Plus, there is a lot more interviewing. There's a lot more kind of fact-filling and uh, tale of the tape. And whilst I think they are both to some degree enjoying it or at least enjoying working with each other i think they're reaching their limits yeah how many times can you describe a platform game or a racing game or a fighting game when you know you've got one of each every week exactly yeah and the challenges on the
0: platform games are basically the same challenge each time it's just with a different you know skin over the top of it it is to collect this thing get this many points and yeah we mentioned this on the christmas episode but Dave's voice now was completely shot. And it's now in these episodes, particularly like in 21 next week, you can really start to hear Dave's voices starting to go. So yeah, I, I wonder if it is a case of just like, this has been quite a long taping schedule. There's only so many times I can say he's leaping like a lizard.
3: But Luke, it's episode 20. We actually don't have that many more to go. No, we don't. And also, this is our last long season of games Master yeah go back to like 18 episodes and by the time we get to the end of this season we are almost almost at the halfway point we'll have done 62 episodes of games Master and there's only hundred and twenty six in total great that seems so weird that we're nearly halfway through this project um yeah that
0: seems quite wild actually that we're, ne- we're no, not that we're nearly there but like you know we're nearly at the halfway mark this this series has felt longer than two uh, I would say but which is weird because it also feels like it's gone pretty quick, but it does I think it might just be because we're finding I'm finding like less and
3: less things to say about it. We're getting a lot of game repetition. The team championship has meant a lot of game style repetition, as we just mentioned. Yeah. And I'm not gonna pin it on Dex because Dex wasn't responsible for the format changes. And the thing no. is, in three, four episodes time, we're getting a format change again where we're gonna be dropping the amount of challenges, but the style of the challenges is gonna be changing. Particularly as we move on from four and get into five and six. I mean, Luke, you you've seen the babies episode. It's gonna get weird.
0: I mean, yeah, there are certain episodes that we're gonna get to where there are only two challenges. There are two
3: games that are featured, and even then, they're barely featured. That means two things, Luke. We're either gonna have to vamp or we get some short episodes.
2: It's the Wolverhampton. Hello, lovely ladies, the Delilahs. Hello. What's your name? Matthew. Matthew, hello Matthew. Ben. Oh, I'm ben. <laughs> Richard. Richard. Okay then, Richard Ben and Matthew. How well are you gonna do tonight? Amazingly well. You're being very calm and cool about it at the moment. You think you're gonna do well? Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be no surprise you to you if you do. Alright then, we'll give him a big round of applause. Yeah! When we gonna well Okay! Next team, I'll oh, take this. Take this. What's your name? Richard. Richard? Zahid. Zaheed? Ashley. Ashley. And you're the team captain, are you, Richard? Yeah. So, what about your boys? Do you think they're good? Yeah, the best. They're gonna do well, are they? Yep. Yeah, and what about the other team over there? What do you mean them lot? I don't like their chances. Well, but... you'll wish them luck anyway, won't you? Of course. Oh, good luck, of course. Yes, alright then, big round of applause then for take this. Yeah! Well done. Thank you! Yeah! Moving on this Wait, way, moving on, moving on. Okay, step outside. It's wanted magic. No prizes for guessing where they're from. Okay, chaps. What's your name? Dane. Dane, your team captain? Yep. Yep, all right, Dane. Luke? Luke? Simon. Simon, okay, guys. So, how well do you think your team going to do? Brilliant. They're going to do better than well. They're going to do brilliant. Are you fantastic players, a lot of you? Yeah. Practice a lot, do you? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not very chatty. Obviously, their game plan is going to do the talking.
3: First up is the Delilahs from Wolverhampton. And hey, guess what, Luke? We get a running joke. <laughs> we certainly do as well. Drive it into the bloody ground. There are... A number of reasons I may sound grouchy when you listen to this episode. And actually, a lot of it isn't to do with the episode we're watching. There are moments, but in short, I'm really tired and a bit achy. But dear Lord, Dex repeatedly calling the Delilahs, you know, lovely ladies, all right, girls, hey, apples and pears, when really they're called the Delilahs because in Wolverhampton, there's a race course and area called Delilah Park, and I'd put money on it. I'd put a trip to the Black Country Museum or to the Cadbury's factory on the fact that that's why they're called the Delilahs. I think it's a cool name as well. I really like. I'm actually
0: a fan of all three team names we got this week. The Delilahs take this Wansted Magic. I think we have got some really fun names this week. I And Delilahs is the one that actually sticks out to me the most.
3: But for the Delilahs, the lovely ladies in Bucky O'Hare is are Matthew, Ben, and Richard. And Richard is wearing an amazing Metallica long-sleeved shirt.
0: Oh, it's wicked, isn't it?
3: First time I was watching this episode... I paused it after the second challenge to go for a walk, and because of that shirt, the first thing I did was I put the Black Album on on Spotify when I headed out. Nice, very nice.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, we we bring it up every time that uh, people wear metal t-shirts on this show, but it just it was it was such a cool style at the time. You know, I still think of our lad in the Rage Against the Machine top back in like episode two of this series.
3: Nothing sets off an onion on a belt finer than a heavy metal shirt. <laughs> But they think they're going to do amazingly well, and are very calm and collected about it. Yeah, I think all of our teams aren't particularly chatty
0: uh, this week. You know, when we meet, take this of Richard, Zahid, and Ashley. You know, they just—it's the usual. Our team's the best. Don't like the other team's chances. But when we get to once dead magic of Dean, Luke, and Simon, like they have got. Like nothing to say, They're, they that team is very nervous. Like Dex even says, you know, like well, they haven't got a lot to say. I'm sure their games playing will do it for them. Although a
3: note that will be repeated from last week: stop chewing gum on national television. Both Dean and Simon are just there masticating furiously on television. Masticating. <laughs>
0: Well, let's have our first challenge, shall we? What are we playing, Games Master?
1: Tonight's first challenge is the awesome beat em up Eternal Champions for the Sega Nigger Drive. Our contestants must pulverize their opponents in a single round duel to the game. I'll award five points to the winners of each bout, nothing to the losers. It's rumbling.
0: yes i'm in for this one mate A round robin tournament on eternal champions for the mega drive the big new fighting game that's not street fighter 2 special champ edition a game that is basically in existence because they didn't think they would ever get street fighter 2 on the mega drive so they thought we'll make our own we'll make our own street fighter beta uh which will be the eternal champions and we talked about the game a lot because it got reviewed either last week or the week before but it's nice to see it come in
3: as a challenge as well absolutely because the reviews in Gamesmaster are always very brief and so it is nice to see here actual people playing it. and whilst spoilers, only a few of them really actually managed to throw any moves. they all get the fundamentals of fighting games and therefore it's quite an entertaining bout to see and did make me want to pick up a joypad or something and actually give this a bit of a blast. I do have one major critical observation. But I will wait until the challenge begins. Um,
0: I don't think it's also the smoothest intro from uh, Dave in this. This is one of those ones where I probably could have done with a bit of a retake. But we're in the, we're in an era of no retakes on Games Master, and like Dex is just making noises. Like this is why I'm saying like they're he's starting to just get on my nerves a little bit, and they're 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 quite annoying together on commentary as well. But I would say I you know to kind of echo what you said. These three bouts. I think was a really great advert to make me want to go and like play the game and like particularly at the time make you know someone want to go out and buy this game, you know, after you know, in the January sales or something. This was a way better advert for the game than the three week Clay Fighter tournament was. Uh I mean also this is a better game than Clay Fighter. Oh yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, First, we've got Zahid of Take This uh, versus Ben from the Delilahs. Zahid is playing as Larson, whereas Ben is playing as Rax. And Ben is better at this game than Zahid is in terms of like he has got to grips with uh, Rax as a character and doing the special moves. I don't know if Zahid has quite got the same level with Larson. However... You know, it ends up being mostly Larson in all of this, in sort of like not
3: a button-mashing style, but he is the guy that gets the win at the end of this round. Absolutely. But the thing that jarred with me as soon as this game actually began, two energy bars at the top, standard Street Fighter one-on-one style, but both of the energy bars deplete right to left. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that just because they felt they had to be different? Because it kind of looks sloppy. It almost makes it look like they couldn't be asked to flip the animation of the energy bar depleting.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just, I, I've never really given it much thought, but yeah, maybe it's just a case of just wanting to be slightly different than everyone else's. I was trying to think if there's another fighting game that's got it that way, and I cannot, think, I was about to say Primal Rage does it that way, but it doesn't. Primal Rage is like the Street Fighter way of doing
3: it. There is a reason why everyone copied Street Fighter with that. It's because it works. It's not until Smash Brothers where we really get like a fighting game that comes up with a different system for energy. And before some people say, yes, I know wrestling games did it differently, but also wrestling games are not traditional fighting games. They're kind of half yeah. simulation, half pantomime.
0: Uh, By the way, I quite enjoyed that first round, but I really enjoyed the, the second one, which is uh, Ben from the Delilah is still playing as Rax, but Simon from One Dead Magic steps up as Xavier. The, the thing with Xavier, though, thematically... I like that Once Dead Magic picked the magic character. I think that's quite nice. But also, like this is a his projectile is proper annoying because it's not just you know a Hadouken. It's not just a Sub Zero freeze attack. There's got to be an animation beforehand. Xavier's got to lift up his stick in the air, and the stick's got to glow, and then he pulls the stick down and then shoots out the projectile. And he tries it so many times, but because it's such a long animation. Rax just constantly jumps around him.
3: It reminds me of Indiana Jones and the infamous fight scene where Harrison Ford basically had the shots. Yeah. And there was the guy who did all the sword moves and Harrison Ford just pulls out his gun and shoots him. And that's what this animation loop is like. It's the sort of thing that you can pull off in a LARP because you're all playing by the same rules, but you try that lightning bolt shit in a real fight, you're going to get shot. And that's kind of what happens. Although, Luke, what is the name of the character that Simon's playing? Xavier. What does Dave say it is?
4: Do you want to give us a lie down on him, Dave? we playing Xavier, who's a very mystical warrior, and should provide a good match for Rax, who's part
0: cyborg. Well, they say it in various different ways throughout the so-called like Xavier, uh, I think at one point. There's like there's a various amounts of ways of saying this name.
3: It's either Xavier or just Xavier, but Xavier, 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 <laughs> no. It's not an alien name. It's a real name. X-Men is out there by this point. Dave, you must have read X-Men. Or watch the cartoon. The cartoon's on telly. Or played the sodding game. I mean, the games are bobbins, but they're still there. The arcade one was good. Yeah, but the arcade should not be used as a guide for how to either pronounce character names or even how characters sound.
0: Yeah, like I think with, with um, Xavier's projectile, you need to start the movement once you've already knocked someone down so that when they're up, you're already throwing the projectile at them, which I I don't think Simon quite gets the hang of. He does eventually get it to land. Uh, I don't, I can't remember if it's in this fight or it's in the next one. He does land it a couple of times, but I don't think he, he didn't quite fully get to grips with it. Um, Anyway, Ben from the Delilahs picks up the win there over Simon from One Dead Magic. And that that was a bit of a closer fight. Of the three, that was my favorite of the rounds.
3: But last up, Simon stays on and faces Zahid, who's back as Larson. And after a few kind of light taps at each other, because it's an important round, th- this this round is a decider and it really will kind of make or break this entire this entire set of challenges. But this is the point where Simon manages to land his kind of freezing fireball type move and then goes in for a low and heavy sweeping attack. It works well. It does a fair bit of damage. But, ooh, the gameplay is cagey on this one. I've got the exact same note literally written here.
0: Neither man is advancing. It's very cagey.
3: They do eventually have a flurry of exchanges, but it is very, very equal down the line. But when Zahid as Larson takes this, it's squeaky bum time. It's just getting the victory. And that means that he gets two victories because we'd have ended up with 555 five, five, which means mm. that you go into the second challenge all equal which is actually a great position to be in it makes it much more tense but what we end up with is 1050 and so you you already know that one of these teams is going to struggle
0: yeah i mean uh, ash has already told you the scores but let's get the official word from dex
2: in third position we have once did magic not doing so well because they've got zero points whack whack oops okay in second position we've got the delightful Deliners. they uh did quite well in that challenge they got five points but in first position is that wonder Man, take this they've got a massive 10 points
3: verification is very important it's good to have Dex there to make sure my math is good (laughs) it basically is well because he goes like once
0: Did magic they've got zero points whack whack oops it's very comical about this whole thing yeah, it's not looking good for our One Stead boys uh, in this, but take I take this, guaranteed themselves
3: into the final rounds. Oh, they stonk it. They absolutely stonk it. But you mentioned the team names earlier and liking them. And I really like the One Stead Magic because you remember the Warwickshire team, the Warwickshire 49ers. Yeah, that we had last week. Yeah. And I kind of went on a little bit about how that, the 49ers, great name, but Warwickshire, it's not, it doesn't work. But One Stead Magic, that sounds. Like a proper team that's got the right amount of syllables. And honestly, I could believe that that would be like a Wonstead-based basketball or maybe ice hockey team basketball was what i went to as well and that's probably
0: because like that yeah orlando that's what i was thinking yeah but like it really does have that sort of like
2: uh uh, to it i i I like that yeah not reviews this week but previews brought to you from the consumer electronics show in las vegas where all the new games are shown first and there were hundreds to choose from the biggest news by far for super nintendo owners was stunt racer fx the next game to use the famous fx chip first seen in star Wing. It's not finished yet. There's only one car to play with at the moment, this buggy. As you can see, its incredible suspension system really straightens out on the corners. As well as speed races, there will be stunt tracks filled with obstacles to avoid. We have promised that there will be a two-player version making the game like a 3D Mario Kart when it comes out in March.
0: We've got no reviews this week. Instead, we've got footage from the winter CES from 1994, which took place in Las Vegas on the 6th of January. And like, so... You know, this is relatively like really new footage. If this
3: episode went out on the 18th, you know, this is just over a week old. And clearly, unlike the last trade show we saw, they didn't send Dex over there. He is just recording this in a voiceover booth. But it's really nice to see. I remember at this time, the CES was where we saw the cool stuff. Nowadays, Nintendo have gone off and done their own thing. Sony are doing their own thing. Microsoft are doing their own thing individual publishing companies are doing their own thing yeah but back then this was the magical time this was when all the boys went out to play previous year the summer CES we'd seen the reveal of the 3DO oh yeah it was it's incredible as well like looking at this sort of the history
0: of CES because we like we're in a period now where the CES is really waning in popularity like it's it's pretty much gone by you know in the next sort of you know like in terms of gaming as well because e3 launches next year in 95 because gaming was just it was a section of ces ces was it was the uh, consumer electronics show so it wasn't just games it was tvs and video players and karaoke machines in particular what was huge at, at ces and gaming was just this little curio in the corner but as Gaming became much more popular as Nintendo became this big powerhouse and then Sega became this big powerhouse. All of a sudden, there's they're kind of taking over CES. So they were just like, well, why do we just have one that is solely for gaming? And, you know, like, and that's kind of I think that kind of hurts CES a lot. Uh, And you know, from the from a gaming point of view, but yeah, this is one of like the last years that we get gaming within. uh, In fact, it is you know, it's the last year we're going to get gaming at
3: the Consumer Electronics Show. Yeah, E3 starts in '95. This is in many ways, from a gamer's point of view, going out on a high note because we only get two previews here, Mm. but they're pretty stonking previews. And I say that with a bit of a question mark because the first game we see. Is the second outing for the Super FX chip? It's Stunt Race FX, known as Wild Tracks, in Japan, and it's a cartoon 3D racing game. It was developed by an internal Nintendo department. They had assistance from Argonaut, and I remember at the time this feeling like a bit of a letdown from Star Wing or Star Fox because. As good and useful as that Super FX chip was, either they hadn't fully utilised it for this, they didn't fully understand it, or they were just asking too much. Because Starwing runs smooth. Even in the slightly shrunk window, it still moves pretty nicely. There are moments of slowdown. That's fine. We still get that in games now. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We're all getting old, Luke. (laughs) But this game... You can count the frames at times, and it, it chugs.
0: Yeah. It, 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 which is a shame as well. I actually found um, uh, some videos, a collection of videos on YouTube that were just like, you know, stock footage of people walking around the CES, uh, the winter CES from 94. And, like, you know, obviously it shows like a lot of the the technological side of things. But from the gaming point of view, from the Nintendo point of view, at this event was Donkey Kong Country. This event, you had Super Metroid. Those are two classic games of the SNES. They're going to be two big hitters this year. And yeah, we instead, we get shown Stunt Racer here, which I, I don't think many people will even remember actually came out in the end.
3: It's recently resurfaced again, and it says a lot that when Nintendo did the SNES Mini, now we had Star Fox on there, and we had Star Fox 2, the unreleased prototype, finished up and put back on there great stuff there was no stunt race fx it didn't resurface until recently when it appeared as part of the nintendo switch online super nintendo selection and i did give it a shot not good no that's a shame that's a real shame there are so many great races of that time and unless you are a virtual racing we're not ready for the 3d yet not on the racing front and also not this weird kind of cartoony car feeling a bit like Roger Rabbit with its portrayal. It, it's an yeah. odd it's an odd vibe and it doesn't really work for me, I'm afraid.
0: No, and no, me neither. And like Dex is talking about like oh you can really see the suspension going in the car because it's bouncing along and this, and the other, and you're like it's gonna be this 3D Mario Kart. But what I found kind of fascinating from this period of time is that these 3D games and we get a preview next week of Virtual Fighter, you know, because it's out in the arcades. And, you know, I've I've seen some of the magazines from around this point as well. That was sort of, like, you know, the 3D games that are coming and this and the other. But it's actually the 2D games like Donkey Kong Country, which had, you know, 3D texture mapping or Super Metroid or, you know, Sonic 3, which is the other preview that we get here. Mario Kart is a 2D game, effectively. Those are the ones that have, have actually stood the test of time over these early 3D things. But I suppose, you know, when you're looking at this through 1994 eyes, you're going to be wanting to show the 3D things
3: because that's like the, oh man, this is the next stage of video game. I mean, I'm critical of this game. It got a mixed reaction at the time. EGM said it was a disappointment after Star Fox, which I think is pretty much where I'm coming from. If Star Fox hadn't preceded this, I might have been a lot more impressed. And they said that there are better racing games out there. GamePro criticized it. But then there's the other side. Game Zero gave it 94 out of 100, saying the controls are out of this world. I mean, they are in that they feel alien and weird. And Edge Magazine gave it 9 out of 10. Wow, buddy, that's good praise. Meanwhile, Bad Influence in Season 3, when they reviewed it, their reviewers gave it a combined score of 4 out of 5.
0: I wonder if this is like, you know, it's being wowed by the graphics more than anything. You know, and that, you know, another time, you know, you could say that, They are fairly impressive. They have not stood the test of time whatsoever, but, you know, they were new and shiny then.
3: I have this very distinct memory of this time of going round a friend's house who also had a SNES. And his name was Alex, I think. And he'd recently got two new titles. He had Stunt Race FX and he had SimCity. And I think... At that point, he wanted to borrow my copy of Street Fighter 2 Turbo for, like, half term. And I went round there, and we hung out, and we played games. Guess which game I swapped for. I'm guessing you took home SimCity. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had to be.
3: Yeah. I played that game to death, and I actually then picked up a used copy of it, because at the time, SimCity for the SNES had been around a while. Yeah. But it was just so much more engaging, particularly... Yeah... As a standalone game, this is really quite impressive. Following on from Star Fox, mm, less so. I think they tried to reach too far. Sonic lovers, here it is, Sonic 3.
1: I'm Roger Hector, vice president of Sega Technical Institute. The Sonic design team had the toughest challenge in the world, the ultimate Sonic game, Sonic 3.
2: So, what's new? Well, there's a brand new character, Knuckles the Anteer, who you can play as in the five new two player levels. Sonic has a new weapon, a Fireball Attack, which is useful when Robotnik pops up. This is the new 3D Special Stage, where you can collect those Chaos Emeralds. But best of all, the game has twice as much memory as Sonic 2, which means the levels are bigger and more difficult than ever before. We'll see what our reviewers make of it in a couple of weeks' time. You'll be able to buy it at the end of February. And remember, you saw it here first.
0: However, from the Sega side of things, we've got a very, very lovely big preview here. We get it reviewed in a couple of episodes time as well. Sonic the Hedgehog 3. We even get like Roger Hector of STI
3: introducing the game and some video footage of him talking about it. If you ever want to see how uncomfortable a member of middle management can look, you stick him in the middle of an MTV music video shoot. Because he is sat there with the jangly camera angles and the crash zooms and the lights and the TV monitors and he's trying to sound with it, and with the kids, and he knows what the score is. He's cool, Daddy-O. He's cool. Oh, man. It is very much like Sega of America at this
0: point as well. There's a a lot of old fellas. Um, But, you know, and I've got a lot of time for Roger Hector. He's a great guy. Um, And we get introduced, as Dex calls him, Knuckles the Anteater. And now this is funny because obviously we now know him as knuckles the echidna but i have never really known or looked into what an echidna is and actually as a child i didn't know how to say the word. and it was only uh, listening recently to sonic the comic the podcast where they said oh yeah it's an anteater and i was like oh i don't think i ever particularly knew that lo and behold dex is on here calling him knuckles the anteater
3: i also kind of took a bit of a huh to the anteater remark and i checked it and i'm like oh okay it's a variant it's like your shiny Pokemons. but i can also imagine that maybe the script writers put anteater down because in 1993 who the hell knew what an echidna was we're lucky they didn't write it down as enchilada and it was just a character covered in tomato sauce i think i called him like knuckles the edge like for years
0: i had no i had a no scooby-doo how you're supposed to say that word it wasn't only until like way later in life that i found that it was pronounced echidna knuckles the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> hey now knuckles was my like this is, so okay so put my cards out on the table here obviously i love sonic 3 i think sonic 3 is a banging game the casino of its own can fuck <gasps> itself but i absolutely love this i love this game even though even if it is just half a game i've got a lot of love for for sonic 3 and it is just half a game but the thing that i love the most about sonic and what kind of takes me back to this period of time was the introduction of knuckles and he was just the coolest character so so awesome there was something about knuckles that really like resonate with me and my friends when we were in the schoolyard and we wanted to play sonic basically where you would take on the role of a character It was like between me, Adam, and my friend Ross, it was always a fight to see who could be Knuckles. Like who could say I'm Knuckles? So like you know, to, to to play act as. He was just the coolest guy. And when he came in for Sonic the Comic as well, oh man, he got some cracking stories in there. Like Knuckles was the
3: coolest thing. And he even got his name added to the front of Sonic the Comic for a while.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, particularly because he got his own. Once he got his own series run, once he got his own strip, uh, when he was playing off against the Marxios, he, yeah, it was like you know, it was Sonic the Comic featuring Sonic the Hedgehog and Knuckles.
3: You were the Sega kid. Sonic Three was your jam. Sonic and Knuckle was your jam, and I know that you know that Sonic Three has a hell of a story to it. Uh, not only the game we got, but the game that we didn't get, and the fact that we got a game in two halves. Yeah. But I'm guessing this is not the last we're going to see of Sonic Three. It,
0: it certainly isn't. No, we get it reviewed in a couple of episodes time because the game's out like you know next month, I think. So we get it reviewed. I think it's in episode twenty two or twenty three, something along those lines. But yeah, we get it reviewed in a few episodes time. So I think we'll dive into the like the real big history of it then. Because as you say, there's a lot to talk about. And Ash, I've got some stuff to add in about the CES 1994 from the research that I did. You're trying to put me out of a job. So yeah, so I was going through uh, and I found a Sega magazine uh, from the UK that was uh, published around this time because, and this is pretty wild to me, bearing in mind, you know, I just told the story then of like when I was a kid and Sonic 3 had come out at this point as well, You know, which comes out next month here in the UK. And my mates and I were absolutely obsessed with Sonic 3 and, and Knuckles and eventually Sonic and Knuckles. But at the winter CES 1994, the Sega Saturn was shown. And that to me seems like nuts that the Sega Saturn was at this, and this magazine, uh, Sega magazine writes, super secret projects like Sega's new 32-bit machine and virtual reality are usually taken to the show and are kept behind closed doors, with only those deemed WORTHY invited to see them. From the look of the case, the machine, codenamed Saturn, has a CD drive, although very little concerning the actual innards of the machine has been officially unveiled by Sega. What you may have read in other magazines is a combination of hearsay and speculation. Here at Sagan Magazine, we're going to bring you the facts, and only the facts, as told to us directly by the people in the know. What we do know about the machine is that it is 32-bit. It has a sophisticated series of graphics and sound chips and uses RISC technology. RISC stands for Reduction Instruction Set Chip. The machine code name to run R I S C chip is faster and a lot more compact and conve- than conventional microchips.
3: Can I just save you a bit of time? Yeah. You can
0: just call it risk. Fantastic. That's great. I was hoping you were gonna be able to tell me some information about that. That's good.
3: See, you may have done your own research, but I just carry that <laughs> up here.
0: <laughs> Which is absolutely fine. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's the last time it comes up in this. Um, in the machine's group- <laughs> The question is, when will the thirty-two bit machine be released over here? At the moment,
3: spring of nineteen ninety-five looks likely. Uh, I'm I'm excited for the Saturn, Luke. I'm mm-hmm. really excited because I was a Nintendo kid. Then I was a Sony kid. I was PlayStation. My first Sega console I owned was the Dreamcast, and the Dreamcast I actually bought just after Sega had basically killed it because it was cheap. It was cheap as anything by that point, yeah. I've never owned a Saturn. That may change when we get to the Saturn in the timeline, because I can talk with a good degree of authority about what it was like being part of that first PlayStation generation. I can't do the same for the Saturn, so I kind of feel it's my duty. Yeah, I've got a Saturn
0: that sat in the garage um, that I may have to bust out um every now and again to try and like you know if i if go like play through some of these games my friend like my friend ross who i, I spoke about in the, when i talked about knuckles he got assassin when it came out i remember being like oh man this is this is the future of gaming like uh, you know and i li- never in my wildest dreams did i think that it would become the third most important console of that generation
3: third out of three basically
0: Basically, yeah, because like yeah. the PlayStation is 64 way take over it, even though it was first. And like the Saturn has got a fascinating story behind it as well, because Sega of America didn't really want to run with the Saturn. That was, a, that was a Sega of Japan thing. The Mega Drive was selling so well in the States that Tom Kalinsky and his team thought, well, we'll just add stuff to the Mega Drive. We'll add the 32X. We've already launched the Mega CD. This has got a great shelf life to this that we can extend on. But Sega of Japan were like, well, no, we've got this machine that we want to run and we're going to run with this. And, you know, we ne- it nearly had Sony in it. It nearly had a, you know, the Sony PlayStation is borne out the fact that they couldn't do a deal with either Nintendo and Sega. And Sega of, Jama- uh, Sega of Japan's bullheadedness that this machine was coming out, it was being made by Sega and no one else, and it was going to be released next year in the States, despite the fact that Sega America pushed back and it was gonna be launching at $500. And it was too much. And it's one of the reasons why it completely tanks. And yeah, we're gonna get a lot to that in our timeline.
3: It's fair to say that if a game exists for the Saturn and the PlayStation, the PlayStation version is better. But there's a lot of interesting arcade conversions, first party games, and the exception to the is better on the PlayStation rule some of the Capcom games. Oh, yeah, the, the 2D games. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so you've got a Saturn. I'm working on it, and it says a lot of my dedication to this podcast, Luke. I am now placing the Saturn on the list above the 3DO <laughs> on list of consoles I'm intending to own. I am giving up my Panasonic dream for this podcast. Uh, a couple of other things I just want to point out from that magazine. Um, they uh, break the
0: sad news, Ash. Um, star trek the next generation has been cancelled in the uk the mega drive game because it would have been sold for 60 quid because it's on a 16 meg cart with battery backup and um sega claimed that it doesn't represent value for money for a game that would have scored around 70 to 80 percent. sega only wants state-of-the-art titles like street fighter 2 uh, streets of rage 3 and eternal champions to be sold at that price that's an interesting
3: metric to pull out Basically saying we only want good games to go at that price point. Because I'd argue, Luke, there are some games coming out at that price point. They're not in the 70 to 80%. They're not even in the 50 to 60%. Hey, Rise of the Robots. (laughs) Oh, we'll get to that. Fear not, though, because Star
0: Trek Deep Space Nine, the game that that's getting, is still coming out. There's also screenshots in this magazine as well of the soon-to-be-abandoned Magical Quest starring Mickey Mouse port
3: from the Super Nintendo. Because we we talked about when we had that as a challenge. Oh, yeah. Something that this magazine and what you just said about the Star Trek game, it never occurred to me that Sega themselves would be a case of going, nah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And like, you know, them
0: showing Magical Quest, it was done. And it was basically ready to go. And then it's like,
3: nah, nah, we're not releasing that now. Oddly, it's behavior. If you read that same article to me and then said, Nintendo set, I'd be like, makes sense. That feels like a sort of thing Nintendo would do. And I say that as a Nintendo fan but they do do weird shit. But Sega, Luke, the image they've been giving us over the past couple of years in the timeline is they're the cool kids, they're yeah, the rebels. No. They wear their baseball caps back to front and, and live in the back of an articulated lorry and play Game Gear while smooching with their girlfriend. It's kind of, it kind of feels very corporate to suddenly go, well, no, metrics and review scores.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Um, you mentioned Rise of the Robots. Uh, it's got a preview here from the Mega CD, which was shown at CES. Uh, they, they, The quote they've got here is, the game is just about complete now, although it's clear that there is still work to do on the speed and flow of the game, which is lacking compared to the top Mega Drive beat-em-ups. With a bit of work, this could be something really special. What I love about that quote there is that they played the game and thought, oh, it's unfinished. That's why it's a bit sh-. <coughs> When it turns out, it's actually just a bitch.
3: Also, with a bit of work. <laughs> yeah, I know. Can, can we get some quantification? What is a bit? Where does it rate <laughs> on a scale of nothing to a shitload? Because oh, I yeah. would say Rise of the Robot is definitely veering more towards the shitload territory when you talk about work required to make it good. In fact, the best way to make Rise of the Robots a decent game is to make it a completely different game or just, you know crack the cartridge open, stick the Street Fighter 2 board inside, close it back up again, job's done. Uh, We will move on from um, CES94, but I
0: found an article from a newspaper as well that actually wasn't focusing on the game side of things. This may end up getting cut out of the podcast, but I wanted to read it anyway because I know that Ash will find this sort of thing very interesting, which is, Panasonic finally debuted its flat vision TV in the US. This gem uses a cathode road ray tube that's less than four inches deep for a 14-inch picture. A conventional TV with that picture size is around 15 inches deep. The picture quality is superb. Panasonic claims that much larger screen sizes are possible. Panasonic tentatively plans to market the flat vision next winter at a high price
3: to be announced. Now, much like I drop a lot of my research on you without any notice, you've just done that to me. But I am remembering this because... When it came to CRT televisions, more so, I think, than with flat screens, like actual flat screens and TFT and LCD and ULED and whatever technology you want to call it nowadays, there could often be a lot of posturing between manufacturers regarding like curvature of the screen, depth of the tube, overall footprint, power consumption. And so I can't help but feel that this was a bit of a flex at Sony. Because mm-hmm. when you want to talk about CRTs and when you want to talk about things that are known for being high quality, and if you look at what a lot of people are still using now for their CRT gaming, the two words you tend to see are Sony and Trinitron. And so this feels like it was Panasonic having a bit of a
0: at Sony. That actually happened comes up later in this article as well, because they also talked about the mini disc in this and essentially how it was a flex between Sony and Sharp. Uh, it says a uh, Sony trumped sharp by introducing the world's smallest mini disc player, the MZE2, not much larger than the disc itself. It uses new lithium-ion battery technology for two and a half hours of battery life with a built-in rechargeable battery and seven hours with snap-on alkaline pack. A list price of $550 means it will sell less than 500 The comparison is... MXR2 recorder for 750 is the world's smallest mini disc recorder, 60% smaller than Sony's original model. I think the first
3: mini disc recorder I owned was a Sharp. I'm very oh, yeah? certain. I didn't get a Sony mini disc recorder until they started to introduce the concept of direct computer connectivity. So that would have been a few years later. But oh, I do miss my mini disc player and recorder. I had some yeah. good times with it.
0: I know, I've had this conversation with my brother before because my brother had a mini disc player and he absolutely loved it. To this day, he will, like, he thinks that it's the best. Like, that is the best format to to have music on. And um, yeah, he, he. I think he had a Sony one and he, I never got one. I, I went from CD um, Walkman straight through to MP3 player. I held on to my CD Walkman for a long, old time. Um, and then from there, I went to a, uh, yeah, an MP3 player that had, I think, 16 meg, I think, or something like that. It was tiny. You can get like seven songs onto it. It was like a little tiny, like um, sort of tablet size thing. Mm. Not like not layers in like an iPad tablet. It's in like you know t- tablet tablet.
3: Like 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 something that you take three of and see the doctor in the morning. It, exactly that. Yes, that sort of thing.
2: The moment of truth now for all of you entering the room of the future competition with our third and final question. Get your red eye pieces on. Here it comes
0: and we've got our final question from the room of the future ash i couldn't quite read the whole thing but i could make out the word jaguar so i'm going to assume the question was how many bits is in the jaguar which i you know is 64
3: yeah how many bits or how many bytes and yes it's 64
0: so i make the code for the room of the future then to be four twelve sixty
3: four. i believe that that is what it is yes assuming yes. that we are right on all of our <laughs> answers and that we got all the questions right despite the fact that both of us could have used a red piece of gel or a red p- like 3d glasses because you've got 3d glasses in your friday the 13th sure have. yeah yeah couldn't be asked just read <laughs> it off the screen
0: so do you know what we've gone a long old time on this let's get into our second challenge what are we playing games master
1: i selected the oddly named brother and sticks for the <laughs> sega negative <laughs> Our contestants must collect as many points as possible by gathering these wriggling pieces of bubble gum which popularly colorful cartoon gum patchwork. Watch out for the ticking clock, as they'll bring the challenge to an end after 45 seconds has passed. I'll award five points to the team who collects the most points, two per second. And zero at the last.
0: Well, it's the sort of games that Jazz Rignall It's Bubba and Sticks. collect as many bits of bubblegum as you possibly can.
1: Yep,
3: and it's a 2D side-scrolling platformer. It's for the Mega Drive and the Amiga and the Amiga CD32. It was developed and released by Core Design and when it was released in America, it had a promotional tie-in with the Bubblicious bubblegum brand because that's what this game is all about. It's collecting wads of bubblegum off the floor don't think about it too much because it begins to feel a bit gross. But as the player, you control Bubba. He's, he's depicted as a redneck character wearing overalls without a shirt, who is accompanied through his journey by a sentient stick. Do you know what the stick's called? Is it sticks? Yeah, it is. It's a stick called sticks. And that stick helps Bubba in various ways, either to defeat enemies or get past obstacles. You can thrust sticks into a hole in the side of a platform so that Bubba can climb higher. But originally, Core wanted to make a moody, dark and atmospheric game featuring an adventurer wielding a multi-purpose stick. And at some point it became apparent that a realistic approach to the design was not feasible and that's when it got more and more outlandish and cartoonish and the game actually got the go ahead. It got bare to middling reviews. It got the 70% range. That's exactly it,
0: yeah. It's the sort of game that if it was on a 16 meg cartridge with battery backup, Sega would not have released it.
3: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's still weird.
2: Okay, so the game is Bubba and Sticks on the Mega Drive. Dean from
4: One Step Magic is up first. Dave, tell us about him. Well, we actually don't know an awful lot about Dean. Is he really good or is he rubbish? So
0: Dean from One Step Magic is up first and he's one of those unknown quantities uh, that Dex and Dave like to talk about where they have to ask the question... Is he just a bit rubbish?
3: Well, Dave does ask, is he really good? And they cut to Dean, who's shaking his head. <laughs> yeah. Or is he really rubbish? And they cut to Dean and he nods quite enthusiastically. And I felt really sorry for the poor sod at this point, because I just thought, oh, mate, you've got no confidence in your chances in this. That's not going to help you at all. No, which is because sh- he actually does pretty well. Uh, I will say the commentary during this
0: is in. Sufferable, like this is really bad because you it is Dex making his noises while Dave is trying to do some sort of commentary, and it is, it does get bad.
2: He's got to collect a little bit of bubble. There we go, knocking around. Where's the, Where's the time? Where's the time? He's doing well, he's doing, doing, doing well. 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 His way up to the the, his points are in the bottom left, he's got, yeah. got 1000. The area, like
0: and as we've talked about before i think it's a case of you could have been fixed in the edit and it certainly could have been fixed with them being able to hear what the other was saying but actually you know dean may have not been confident but i actually think he plays pretty well through
3: this he ends up with six thousand points which doesn't seem like it's a terrible score no um he doesn't make any clunking mistakes spoilers he finishes last but it's not because he's bad it's just because the other two are better and even then they're not actually better by that much. Magic
2: Court 6000, next up we've got Matthew the Delilahs, he's jumping into the hot
4: seat. Dave, do you want to tell us a bit about Matthew? When we asked Matthew for some claims to game fame, his boast was that he completed Splatterhouse 2 in 10 minutes. We don't think so. So it's a Pinocchio style challenge if ever I heard of one. Now,
0: Dave and Dex think that that might be a bit of boulder Dash, and they would probably be right to think so, because unless he's used a level select cheat to get through to the end, the current speedrunning world record on Spider House 2 is 15 minutes and 28 seconds. So it is very unlikely that he did do it in 10 minutes.
3: And the average time, if you just look at like the average time to complete, it's an hour and a half. Yeah. It's not a long game, but I just wrote down the words bullshit. <laughs> I've got the exact same notes. I've written here bullshit and
0: they also think it's bullshit.
3: Dex describes the challenge as a Pinocchio style challenge. Matthew starts the challenge with a steely look of concentration on his face. And he follows mostly the same route as Dean, but I almost thought he was going to biff this because he gets stuck on a jump quite emphatically, much more, I think, than Dean did. But despite that, he still scores 300 more and ends his turn with 6,300.
0: Yeah, I also thought that he was going to stack this completely because he gets stuck in that spring section. It's not like Alfred Chicken levels of getting stuck on a spring section, but he is stuck there for a little bit longer than Dean was. And with 10 seconds to go on the clock, he's only got a score of 3,400. I thought for sure that Dean was running away with this. And then he walks over something and all of a sudden his score jumps up hugely to that 6,000 mark. Yeah, I was surprised
3: he did as well as he did. He found a cluster of big bubblegum chunks because there's little jelly bean sized ones rolling along the floor. And then there's massive wads of the stuff. And I wouldn't want to pick up chewing gum off the floor, Luke. That's grim. And I'm not saying this to someone that doesn't like chewing gum because I know I've already busted the chops of some competitors. I'm perfectly fine with chewing gum. I have some chewing gum on my desk. Do you know what I don't do? I don't chew it when I'm on a call with someone or when I'm on a camera. Luke, am I chewing gum right now? You are not. <laughs>
4: What's Ashley going to do? Well, Tasmania, Castle of Illusion, Sonic 1 and 2 are all games that he claims to have bust in under five hours of buying them. So let's see how he can do on this game if he fancies himself as a platform buster.
3: But anyway, Ashley is up last and apparently he completed Tasmania, Sonic 1 and 2 and Castle of Illusion all within five hours of buying them. That's a believable flex.
0: Easily a believable flex, yeah. Uh, He also has basically the same games collection I did. Are you sure it isn't you under an assumed name? It is not me. I can tell you this much that it was not me, because I would have also named Quackshot in that list as well. Granted, also as well, I didn't complete Sonic uh, within five hours of getting it. It took me many a year to complete Sonic. That's fair then.
3: But he follows much the same route as the other two, doesn't get stuck as much as Matthew, and therefore manages to get a higher score than either of them. He wraps up his challenge in roughly the same place at 6,800 points, taking pole position on this challenge. It was perfectly fine stuff. Like, as you say, because because they all
0: took the exact same route, it was like a, a bit of Groundhog Day with some variations in
3: there. But it was fine enough, I guess. And also the scores were close enough together that there was a bit of tension towards yeah. the end. But end of the first two challenges. Dex, you cheeky monkey, what are the scores?
2: They got nil in the first round and nil in the second round. That's one speed magic hitting a bit of a bad spell. Then with two points in the second round and five in the first, that's with Delilah with seven points. But we in front at the moment with five points in this round, 10 points in the last it's 15 massive points. for take this.
0: Oh, it's terrible news for the One Stead Magic last in both of their challenges, which I mean, you know, that means they lost both of their fights on Eternal Champions and they lost the platforming thing. Goose eggs for them. One Stead are
3: on their way home. Yep. Dean says he couldn't make the jump nothing more to it than that and that's enough to have the caretaker summoned and off they trot as we go to a commercial break
2: right we've got two teams left they're battling out for a place in the championship semi-finals here they are these are the two teams right we're going to see them battling out after the commercial break as well as a very special celebrity challenge so put the kettle on but don't go too far eh
1: Healthy people find it keeps them on an even keel. Others say they like the way it makes them feel. Some eat it in the garden and it doesn't matter when and some because it's no added sugar album. Some people eat it when there's no one else around. When the kids have gone to school and there's not a single sound. Some like it in the evening when they catch the news at 10 and some because it's no added sugar album. Philips has invented the ultimate compact disc player, CDI. It doesn't just play music, it also plays movies.
0: It brings knowledge to life and takes games into
2: whole new worlds. Philips CDI. Come. Come in. One player, countless opportunities. Philips invents
4: for you.
1: to lose weight, it has to be Weight Watchers. So start losing weight right now with Weight Watchers New Kickstart Plus. For January
0: only, registration's free. So join now and save £9. For your nearest meeting,
1: phone 061-228-6537 or see Yellow Pages. You can change.
2: It's time for our celebrity challenge. We all better be on our best behaviour because we've got two stars from a very special programme. Please give a big warm welcome for Lisa gagan and Andrew Paul from the Bill. Little, <laughs> uh, all right then. Thank you very much for joining us, Andy. Lisa, hi. Do you uh, play a lot of computer games, Andy? Uh, no. Ah, uh, he's not going to be too good. Then well, we'll see how you do, Lisa. You got a game? You got a computer? Yeah, the Mega Drive. She's got a Mega Drive, so you yeah? oh, no.
0: should have seen what happened in the rehearsal. And coming back from that commercial break, it's another appearance from Bill Stars. Uh, it's Andrew Paul and
3: Lisa Goghan. Um, is it Goghan or
0: Giohan? I can't actually how to pronounce their surname. I think
3: it's Giohan because mm. as soon as I see her, I just think, oh, that's PC Polly Page. Because exactly, I was yeah. watching the bill and she was easily one of the most identifiable characters on the bill from that era. I mean, both of them are to a degree, actually. They're both people that I very much... Remember seeing. It's the haircut,
0: I would say, as well, particularly uh, for Lisa. Like when uh, Dex said, These are the people, and Dex is like right in the camera as well when he's announcing this. It is like extreme close up on him. And he said the names, and I was like, Oh, I don't really know who they are. As soon as she walked out, I was like, Oh, yeah, nope,
3: I totally know who that is. I mean, she got her start in the bill as a guest shot in 91 and then became a regular from 1992 she stuck with the show until 2004 that's 12 years of long service that's not bad she appeared in over 601 episodes of the show isn't that amazing as well that's 12 years of a show
0: that's 600 episodes it's it's just incredible stuff when you think of like the way that Americans make tv shows you know they find it quite quaint how you know the, the office has only got 12 episodes and a handful of uh, uh, things, whereas an American one, 12 episodes is half a series.
3: And also, that's not necessarily every episode of The Bill. That's just the one she was in, because there was there was a ensemble cast. But she's appearing here opposite Andrew Paul, who played Dave Quinan, who she also had a relationship with in character. Mm. I don't know at what point that happened in the storyline, but I do find it kind of nice to know that and then see them appearing here They clearly were friends. They clearly were like friendly colleagues. And there was a real sense of they were both enjoying their day out. Yeah, totally. It was like the Panto stars. They were having a day trip. And also, I know where they filmed the bill. They weren't that far. They filmed the bill down in my neck of the woods. They just (laughs) went up through London. That was it. It was easy. Andrew's not feeling confident in any of this either,
0: because he doesn't have a console at home. And from what I can gather in this, Lisa has been battering him in practice.
3: I mean, Andrew joined the bill even earlier than Polly. He was there from 1989 and had also previously appeared in the show as a witness. And as the focus of the series shifted from focusing on the crimes to focusing on the lives and the stories of the officers themselves, Quinan was one of the ones to benefit from that. Although most of his storylines were fairly dramatic. He was almost kicked to death by a gang of thugs. Bloody hell. Resulting him in spending several weeks in hospital on a drip. I mean, that's some easy acting. Mm -hmm. Like, in storyline, he was in hospital on a drip. Not in real life. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But one of the big storylines was he fell in love with a colleague's girlfriend, had an affair with her, and then married her after the affair became public. But then while he was married to her, he had an affair with PC Polly. (gasps) The bastard! He actually left slightly before Polly. He left after 13 years. Both of them went on to actual further careers on the other side of the channel. He appeared in EastEnders. She appeared in Casualty. Both have appeared on that Bill podcast, I think I mentioned, that was around when we last covered it. And yeah, both the figures that I strongly recognize from this era, I'm well into, I guess actually when when they were getting ready to leave. Because I watched the Bill up until 2002- 2003. I especially watched it when I was living where they were filming it. But these two need a game to play. What are they playing, Games
1: Master? Evening all. Tonight's celebrity challenge is on the explosive shoot-em-up Terminator 2 for the Super Nintendo. The aim of the challenge is to score as many points as possible by destroying the deadly Terminator robots on the rampage. The winner of my golden joystick will be the contestant who scores the most points within 45 seconds. Get blasting.
0: This is fun because we had the Mega Drive version of this on a challenge in, God, was it Series 2 that we had this as a challenge on the Mega Drive one using the Menacer? Um, I can't remember what it was, but it's nice to have the SNES version of this instead.
3: I mean, not only do we get the SNES version here, but also the SNES version itself is reviewed in this month's issue of Games Master Magazine where it's got the recommended retail price of 49 dollars 99 is listed as available now. And the overall conclusion from Les Ellis, who's the main reviewer on this, is if you have the Super Scope, you have to own this game. If not, then I'd think twice before buying it. It gets very tedious and repetitive after a while. There's side-out boxes from Tim Tucker, who says Les is right when he says you should think twice about T2, and echoes if you've got a Super Scope, it's a goer. If not, think a few times. I think that can cover a lot of the shooters that are on the
0: Mega Drive and the Sega. we had that, you know, with Lethal Enforcers, which is if you've got the menacer, grand, but if you're playing it with a control pad, it's actually quite awful.
3: I mean, meanwhile, Andy Lowe says it's a top game, but he's sick and tired of Terminators, Robocops, Aliens, and Predators. They're all soft, and Ken out of Street Fighter could have them all any day. He's brilliant. <laughs> in Street Fighter 2 Turbo, you see, he has this triple hit combo, which, if used up close, and that's where it cuts off and goes to a disclaimer by someone called Alison. So he's not really into it. But overall, it gets a score of 75%. Do you want to try and take a guess at what the individual scores were for this one? Oh man, I mean, I always do so poorly at this. Well, if you do poorly in this, I'll cut this bit out. Unless I forget <laughs> to, in which case, people will also hear this. I mean, it's fine
0: if it stays in and I do poorly because it is like they're arbitrary numbers at the end of the day. So uh, it's, it
3: scores out of 10, isn't it? Scores out of nine. It scores out of nine? Weird system. Um, so what, what's up first? So what I'll do is I'll give you the heading and I'll give you the description next to it because maybe that will help you. Okay, that's nice. So graphics. The early levels were a bit of a letdown, but there are some neat touches later on, like the T-1000 with a splitting headache. Seven. Bang on the money. <clears throat> Sounds. Bang, bang, blat, blat, and speech of sorts. The music isn't a lot better either. Five. Six.
0: <laughs> oh, what? I mean, that was sound, that was one less than the graphics. They were quite uh, praising of the graphics.
3: Yeah, that one doesn't make sense. I'm not going to hold that one against you because I'd have maybe even gone four for that was one the way they were I, described it. Dude, I said five because it was the first number that came to my head. That was a reactionary thing. And as soon as I said it, I was like, that's too high playability. The blasting gets fast and furious later on, but there is no variety. That super scope does feel good, though. Uh, I'm gonna go six. six. Oh, oh, man! i knew you said seven. It was seven. I was just like, yes, 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 no! Changed my mind halfway through. Last ability. Virtually unplayable with a joypad, good fun with a scope, and too easy with a mouse. That's not a great description relating to the score. I'm going to give you a hint on that one because that to me sounds like a four or five and it ain't a four or five. I was going to say five. So I'll am going to i bump it up to seven then. Seven it is. Yeah, okay. But I can see if they're marking each category out of nine and the way you'd have to then stretch that into an average out of 100%, I suppose 75% makes sense. Yeah, And the overall conclusion is T2 is quite an impressive attempt at doing a light gun game, but is let down by the other control systems. There is a major problem with the action, though. It gets repetitive after the first level, and although there are some slight variations later on, it just isn't enough to warrant continued play. It was the the lad you said in the box out,
0: the one he was talking about, Ken. Andy Lowe. Andy Lowe. I would love to have a chat with him because, you know, nearly 30 years later, he has had to go through a lot of Alien, Predator, Robocop, Terminator, because he's going to be sick of pop culture for the last 30 years because we've had a lot of reboots and remakes and re-releases and whatnot. I mean, literally
3: just the other day, they've announced a brand new Alien game. And also, as much as I'm guilty of it, maining as Ken on Street Fighter, it's a bit scrubby. (laughs) That's why I main as Dan. Oh, look at that. the connoisseur's choice. No, I just like trolling people with him.
2: So the game is Terminator 2. Our two celebrity contestants are in the cage and they both want to win a golden joystick. Babe, tell us, what's going to happen?
4: Well, we all know that girls are notoriously bad at computer games, but but I'm a little bit worried that Andy hasn't got a machine at all and the game is made even more difficult by the fact that we're using the Super Scope on the Super Nintendo. (laughs) So for once, I'm actually going to put my money on the girl.
0: Uh, Right, okay. Well, yeah, Dave uh, makes his usual comments. It's basically his gimmick now. It's, it's what he's doing on this show, I guess.
3: The crowd do boo him, which at least makes it feel like it is being played up for Panto. And that actually made it a little bit easier, but not much. And it does look like Lisa may actually tell him to fuck off on this one. She mouths something. Yeah. Put it that way. But Dave also doesn't reckon Andy's chances as he doesn't have a games console. So he says, for once, he's going to put his money on the girl. It's like Rick in the Young Ones. Yeah. Oh, it so is. Oh, I wish
0: she won this challenge. I, I, I do too. I really do. Because like she doesn't. Yeah, she, she doesn't. Because uh, like I don't think Andrew's particularly great at the game either. He ends up with a score of eleven thousand five hundred. But it feels like you know, really, Lisa plays the exact same sort of game that he plays. She just got. Six hundred points less than he did. You know, just a couple of more kills would have done it for her.
3: The key difference between their playthroughs, and we'll talk about them both at the same time, because they're all following the same path. Because it's an on rail shooter, and one of the key things with this game is you have a limited amount of gun power. So if you just hold down the fire trigger and spray bullets with wild abandon, that will run down. And when it runs out, your gun doesn't stop firing, but it kind of gets the sputters. Yeah, it and just a starts bit, yeah. firing slowly and jamming. Yeah, and Andy, whilst he definitely follows a lot of the same kind of attack route as Polly when it comes to enemies on the screen, he doesn't hold down the fire button when there aren't enemies to shoot. Lisa does. I mean, she starts out the gate cracking. She shoots a hunter killer before it's even finished zooming to the front of the screen, and she is generally a lot better with the aim. Both of them. Learn the trick with this game is to stop trying to look through the scope site. Just use the crosshairs on the screen and guide it by looking at that. It works a lot better. But she doesn't let off the gun trigger. And because of that, she runs out of gun power a lot quicker. So if you look at where the crosshair is, if she had gun power left, she'd have wiped the floor with him. Yeah, unfortunately, she got a bit Gannon trigger happy.
2: Yeah, you did a bit.
3: Yeah, it was duck hunt all over again. It
0: really was. Yeah, it is, it, it's kind of a, a shame for her. Also, I, I found it adorable uh, through that, that you kept cha- switching between calling her Lisa and Polly.
3: It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> Every time I actually call her Lisa, it's because I've looked down at my notes and I'm reminded that she isn't really Polly. So yeah, so Andrew gets the win on that,
0: uh, which means that Dave did not win his bet, which means he
4: says this. Never bet on the white guy in boxing or the girl in computer games. That's a tip. I don't
3: think any of us expected him to say that. Both Lisa and Andy look like they had fun. They're smiling and laughing. Lisa says that she's not going to make excuses. The best man won. Andy is flummoxed and doesn't know how it happened.
0: Yeah, this really does feel that. Basically, it was... Lisa won every single round in practice and she had won in practice throughout the entire day. And then on the actual day, on the actual challenge, he won. And was he, so he went into this not expecting to win whatsoever. And
3: then he did. So I was like, oh yeah, I guess it was just luck in the end. It's a thing. But I did like that they both looked like they had a bit of a giggle.
1: Welcome one and all to my soup kitchen for the gaming undernourished. Who will be the first to sip my knowledge?
4: Games Master, I've heard there's a secret level on Pugsy on the Mega Drive. We can kill all the bunnies from the other game, Wiz and Liz. Can you help me, please?
1: My pleasure. On the sixth level, you'll find a tree next to a rope bridge. Climb all the way up this tree. Collect the knife and avoid the nasties, you see. Now make your way down the left side of the tree, back to a rope bridge. Drop the knife. And this will cut the bridge's ropes and send you plummeting down to the bottom of the parapet. Walk right and you will find the entrance to this secret bonus game. I'm sure you will have a whale of a time shooting up those bunnies.
0: Hey, thanks, Games Master. This is a proper Dave Bulmer special. Um, So yeah, you go see on one of the levels, you can climb up a tree uh, that's by a rope bridge. You then get a knife, you then go down, you open up the bridge, and then you can just travel through into a secret area, And yeah, there's the rabbits from a different game called Wiz and Liz, and you can go and murder them,
3: I guess. I guess mixomatosis is an issue in the world of Pugsy. Yeah. But I did like at the end of this tip when the kid just goes, hey, thanks, Games Master.
1: I've just brought us all on the Mega Drive, and I'm finding it very difficult. I'd like to know if there's any cheats. Do you know of any? Of course I do. Pause the game and enter the following combination. Right button A... Down, button A, right, button B, left, up, right. This spells radar blur. You will now have 240 units of energy, though only three will be visible on the screen, and 999 units of time. This should help to make matters easier.
3: Oh, brilliant, thanks. I do like using button combos to spell out words because obviously Zool was on the Amiga originally, and so you could just go tappity, tappity, tap, type the word in. But for like a Mega Drive, they've got to be like, okay, right A button, down A button, right B button, left, up, right. I dig that. I kind of enjoy that sort of code. It's nice to see the Mega Drive version of Zool. Interestingly, this wasn't a straight port. The level structures were completely different for the SNES and the Mega Drive versions. It wasn't just an identical bang it over kind of port, which we get a lot of, we particularly lot, to the yeah. Mega Drive. The Mm -hmm. Amiga to the Mega Drive, as we've had discussions on this podcast where you go, oh, I bet it's an Amiga game. There's a couple of times I've shocked you, but most of the time you bang on the money. But apparently that's all the discharge we're getting for this week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I laughed, but then also went, "Mm." (laughs) hmm.
0: Well, it's time for our final challenge of the evening. What are we playing, Games Master?
1: Tonight's final challenge is on Super Goal 2 for the Super Nintendo. The teams who scored the most goals after two halves of end-to-end footy action will be tonight's winner. Give it all you got,
0: lads. It's nice to have a little football game end off this round, but I don't think it's the best football game that we've had
3: on Games Master. Oh, I'm getting real Super Soccer vibes off this one. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. It was a Japanese game, and originally in Japan, you could compete for the Super Cup either with or against a player called Takida Nobuhiro, who is apparently one of the greatest football players in all of Japan. There were teams from all over the world, Europe, North America, South America, Africa and Asia. But when it was released in North America, it was published as part of the Goal series and they removed all reference to the specific football player because realistically, it wouldn't make a difference. I'm amazed when they released it in Europe that they didn't just do a face swap and kind of, you know use it to push Gary Lineker or or someone else or John Barnes yeah try and get a partnership with someone or like an endorsement sort of thing but well this game doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good and all I could think all the way through this challenge was man I wish we were watching FIFA or Sensi or or Striker
0: I had the exact same thought as well like we've had a few football games reviewed as of late as well because Steve Merritt made the it's the barnet of uh, football games joke a, a couple of times over And this feels like it's one of those games where it's just like, yeah, there's just a lot of football games out there at the moment. Most of them aren't particularly good. And it looks proper naff now since that we've had FIFA just a few weeks ago.
3: But anyway, Richard from the Delilahs will be playing as Brazil. Richard from Take This will be Germany. Why are Germany wearing a Newcastle strip? Because the Brazil team look pretty much spot on. Orangey yellow and blue, you know, it's that it's that colour combo. Germany looked like a bunch of mint humbugs. It's a weird thing, yeah. Because
0: they play, I guess it's trying to give them a bit more like sort of definition. Because I'd imagine the England team are playing in white shirts as well, so maybe it was just a way to kind of give them a bit of difference about them. I can only imagine
3: that, or realistically, Japan just
0: didn't care. (laughs) Yeah, it could be that as well. Or
3: it is also an unlicensed game, so maybe they have to be careful how close they get to the actual football strips. There could be a multitude of reasons uh, as to why it is. And if this was a better game, those reasons may have been documented, but as it isn't, they haven't. So Dex has got this phrase that he
0: likes to use, and he uses it in virtually every single platforming uh, game, which is, he's leaping like a lizard. Because you're doing a lot of platforming, you're doing a lot of jumping, it makes sense. He says it in this challenge as well. And I was thinking, like, where is he leaping like a lizard there, Dex? Where?
3: I mean, I suppose the goalkeeper leaps like a lizard a bit because he's jumping to save the ball. I guess. They're also obsessed with the size of the ball. And Dave does explain that this is in part due to the perspective of the game zooming in and out. But when the ball gets kicked high, it does get very large on the screen. I guess because they're trying to imply it's coming closer to the camera. But Germany go on the attack. They take a shot. They miss. Brazil goes on the attack. Germany get the best shot of the half and whilst right at the end of that first half, Brazil do mount a really strong run on goal. And I use the word run in Bucky O'Hare's because, man, this is slow.
0: And I don't know why he's not taking a shot either. Like, Dave is shouting that he needs to take a shot because the time is running out. And like, he's not, because, as you say, because it's slow, he's not going to make it to the penalty box in time. So, yeah, he's basically just runs with the ball and the clock runs out. And I, that was probably their best chance that they had throughout the first half of that game because it was pretty much all Germany throughout. And you see this in the second half. Richard of the Delilahs, who is playing as Brazil, I'm not sure he can really get the measure of this. He's never really getting used to it because he's getting frustrated. They keep showing him, like, they keep cutting back to him and like his reactions. And the longer this goes, the more frustrated he gets. It's not quite at the levels of the lad playing super tennis back in series two, but he is very much getting frustrated throughout
3: this. And when you get frustrated, you make mistakes. And despite giving Germany's keeper a bit of action for the first time, yeah, yeah, (laughs) for now, Germany basically score with 45 seconds left to go. And despite Brazil's best attempts, it ends 1-0. It was a lucky goal as well, because it, it essentially like it bounced off the keeper and went in. It is a lucky goal. And the one thing I will say in favour of this challenge, because it's a pretty so-so challenge, is a mediocre 1-0 victory is probably the most realistic football game we will ever get on Games Master. Because neither of us are big football people, but I do watch the World Cup, Mm -hmm. and I do watch European Championships sometime. And so many games end in a disappointing 1-0 victory or a disappointing 0-0 draw. The watching this, I just thought, well, wow. surprisingly realistic for 1993.
2: Ah, oh, the Delilahs! Delightful young ladies, but unfortunately, you lost. So, anything to say? Yeah. No, I just couldn't do it on the day. Couldn't pull it off on the day.
4: Yeah.
2: It was a close game, unlucky. Well done though, thanks very much for coming down. Here they are, the winners, please.
4: Yes, very. Yes, you are? Surprised yeah, you? at all, perhaps? Um, well, we weren't doing too well in the practices, and I suppose, just a bit unlucky letting that goal get in off the keeper, but... Yeah.
0: Best team won. You know, I get credit to take this uh, as a team. They won all three of
3: their challenges. They absolutely smashed it throughout this. I mean, in post-match, they're very pleased because they didn't do very well in the practices. And Richard of the Delilahs just says he just couldn't pull it off on the day. Yeah, you know, when, when you look at it, it's
0: sad but true. Hey! <laughs> I've been saving that all episode. Just written in my notes and everything. Oh, it's a banger of a track. But anyway...
3: That's that. Take this through.
2: Next week, we'll have three more teams battling out for a place in the championship semi-final, where they might meet up with these guys here. Take this. Well, good luck to them. All right, then. Don't forget, at the end of the show, we're going to repeat that address in the Room of the Future competition. So stay tuned. Bye, see you next week!
3: And for some reason, there's a kid pulling a face in the background. Yeah, early in the
0: show there was a kid that was constantly trying to get himself on camera. So I wonder if it was the same one. I guess we're still
3: at the point where either a kid doesn't know what to do on camera or they go full Simon Amstel and they want to own it. And this kid's in the latter category, but without the natural charm and ability that Simon Amstel had.
0: But that is going to do it for episode 20 of series three. As Ash said earlier, we are nearly halfway through this episode. run. We're so close to the end of series three now, which seems wild.
3: Uh, but Ash, what did you make of this one? I'm going to leave aside the girls of rubbish rhetoric because there is nothing to be said about it. We've already exhausted it on previous episodes. It's Dave's gimmick. It's what he's working with. Okay, that's what he was doing. Working backwards. The football challenge was the low point because it was a boring game to watch. Any other football game, it might be much more exciting. Consultation zone. Couple of good hints. They seemed fun enough. Celebrity Challenge, it wasn't the greatest in the world, it was fun to see the Super Scope out again and it was definitely a better game to see on the Super Scope than the last one we had, which was just kind of a wonky puzzle game really. While the challenge itself wasn't too exciting I quite like seeing Bubba and Sticks because it's not a game I've heard of. And yes it's very Amigary but it also looks a bit fun and wacky and weird and it was very bright and colourful and because the scores were so tight there was an element of tension. I had a lot of fun with the preview section. There was no reviews, but one, two interesting games to talk about. And also, it was a lot of fun just to talk about CES and all that technology and getting into the stuff that you found in your research, you busy little beaver. I fell into a bit of a rabbit hole with that, I'll be honest. Okay, you busy little rabbit. <laughs> then we had the first challenge... Which was great because it follows on from the review and it was Eternal Champions. And while, yes, it wasn't the most special move filled fight, solid fundamentals and again, some really close rounds. On Median, this was actually just a OK episode. There were no disastrous challenges. And if they'd chosen a different football game for this, I'd probably be singing its praises because we'd have gone out on a high note. But as it is, it's just OK. It's a good episode. It's not especially exciting, but it's also not especially boring.
0: Yeah, for me, much like uh, the football game, it's an episode of two halves. I thought the first half was really, really great because, as you said, we've got Eternal Champions in there. The big preview of Sonic 3 and and, the Winter CES and that Bubber and Sticks challenge wasn't, you know, wasn't particularly great, but it was close. So that kind of like added a level of drama to it. Whereas the second half of the show with the celebrity challenge and the consultation zone and that football uh, finale weren't particularly great. And in the end, of it, yeah, like you say, it was kind of just sort of fine. But I feel like we have had episodes that were probably worse than this, that, you know, have gone probably into the late 70s zone of a scoring thing. So I think I'm probably going to go, I was thinking early 80s for my score. But I really enjoyed the Eternal Champions one. I wonder if that's actually going to bump me up ever so slightly, maybe even towards the mid 80s. So I'm going to go with 83 uh, as my score for this episode. I was going to go with 81. Yeah, so it's kind of basically in the same ballpark. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, yes, we've talked about how maybe we're finding Dex a bit annoying or rather Dex Persona a bit annoying and we're finding some of Dave's comments a bit annoying. I'm also not feeling as fatigued or run down as I thought I would be by this point. After the first couple of episodes of the team championship, I did start to have this, ooh, I'm not sure I'm going to feel in four or five episodes time. And as it is, I'm just fine. I'm fine with the format and I'm fine with the changes. The issues I'm having are mostly editorial or directorial. Because it's worth saying that any of the issues that we may have with the hosting could have been fixed by a director or an editor including the talking over each other. Lip ribbon microphones. There is no reason we had to hear Dex and Dave at the same time. They could have muted one while the other spoke.
0: Yeah, I'm, I think I am starting to get a bit of team championship fatigue at this point. And it might just be because we're still in the heat. Like, it's, you know, because like the actual sort of like finals of this are going to be the final four episodes. So we're still, we're still going to be in the heat by the time we get to episode 22. And I think that um, so I'm so I'm a bit like I right, am I'm, I'm kind of ready to either not just move on from this, but also kind of see some of these teams return. And I think a lot of the platforming games are feeling a little bit similar. The beat em ups are the ones that I'm enjoying the most now. And, and, you know, whatever the sort of surprise one is, I think I'm starting to get fatigued with the, the not so much the format because I think it still sort of works, but no, the concept works, but maybe the format doesn't quite work. Either way, when I loaded up episode 21, when Dex said, it's another heat, I did think, fucking hell, like this, it's starting to drag on a bit now.
3: Yeah, maybe when we get to the postseason analysis, we can work out a way to fix this.
0: But that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. and We love each and every one of you. If you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to
3: feedback at underconsultation.com. Or you can come and hang out on our Discord with a funky bunch of folks who's growing slowly but surely. A really nice group of people where there's talk about Ghostbusters, there's talk about you in some of your other roles, and apparently someone's wife is a massive fan of yours. Ah, huh. yeah, I'm I'm oh. left out in the cold. <laughs> oh no, 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 because she watches you daily on your day job. Oh, I see. Right only hears from me once a month on the patreon episode so i'm i'm the winston zeddemore of this partnership <laughs> i'm popped out of the picture when it goes to pan and scan on television <laughs> i've been
0: really enjoying a uh, um discord i had a, a great we had a great like uh, chat on um discord over the weekend because i was i just in my head was like i'm gonna get myself a game boy advance and that became a huge conversation uh, about that. We also had a big conversation about um, Transformers and the Rhino DVD releases. It's, been a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful
3: community. And also, if you turn up, I'm usually there and I'll try and say hi to people as they join. If Luke isn't there, if you say Skitchin three <laughs> times, it's like the goddamn Candyman. He just turns up. And it's just there. I do get tagged, so I get notifications <laughs> that someone is trying to summon me. Not every time. No, not every time. So I still think there might be some magic at work. And next time you do it, I want a picture to show that you don't have like a <laughs> rollerblade on your hand or wearing a slightly creepy fur lined coat like he does. Or oh, just you wait. It's coming up in a couple of episodes oh man <laughs> anyway it's a great place to hang out uh,
0: and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where at the five pound level you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free and at the 10 pound level you get yourself a nice little merch bundle pack ash what do they get
3: oh they get a mug and in that mug you find stickers and badges and sweeties and retro trading card retro power rangers trading cards And before you fill that mug with a beverage of choice, you should take all that out because you will also find a £5 off voucher that gets you a discount on our first t-shirt, which is available along with other mugs, stickers and badges at underconsultation.com. shout out to those 10 pound backers david
0: colin william simon sean robert rich nick misha matt joe jamie gordon cliff carol adam warrington and adam d thank you all so much for listening we really really do appreciate every single one of you we'll be back in seven days time with episode 21 of series three take care everyone good night